This is The Culture. What's up, guys? We are back to talk about Ahsoka Episode 3. But before we dive in, if you like our content, be sure to give us a like and make sure you guys comment and hit that subscribe button. It really helps the channel and can bring the culture to new heights as we begin to expand Culture Wave Media Network. But tonight, we are talking about a galaxy far, far away. And I will be one of your hosts, Darian Scalamoni. And I'm once again joined by the host of the Star Wars Mark of Balance podcast, Mark Yacobino, what's going on, man? How's it going, Darian? Happy to be back. The second we stopped recording last time, I was already looking forward to sitting back down and talking about Ahsoka with you again. So excited to be back on the pod, excited to see the audience again, and let's get into it. Awesome, man. Let's do it. It's Time to Fly, which is the title of this episode, right? Episode three of Ahsoka. And there's a lot to talk about. Again, more of a simple episode where uh, it's the shortest of Ahsoka so far, but I want to start at the top with the training sequence, right? Mm -hmm. So... We're finally jumping right into the Padawan master sort of relationship between Sabine and Ahsoka. One thing I definitely want to talk about, because I know you really like scores and soundtracks and stuff mm. too in Star Wars. I loved the score during this sequence when they put the mask over Sabine's face. Was did that was that something that stuck out to you as well? Yeah, the thing with the score for a lot of the series, and especially here in the dojo scene, is there's that very Japanese influence of samurai and training in a dojo-like setting. And that kind of guitar sample that they use, that's really what I clung on to. I'm not sure if that's what you're talking about here, but that's what I really like about the show is it's drawing on those Japanese influences, even in the score. Totally, because George, again, a lot of what he based Star Wars onto was a lot of Kurosawa, and mm -hmm. Favreau played a lot with that within Mandalorian too, which I'm repping tonight. Yeah. Love yeah. that, no? <laughs> but I, yeah, the, the guitar, like you were saying, stuck out to me. But also, when you dive deeper into the scene, the dynamic and the trust that Ahsoka has in Sabine really stood out because mm -hmm. you start to see her relationship with Sabine, how they're able to kind of use their relationship um, from the past series that we've seen or you've seen mm -hmm. um, and basically build upon that in Ahsoka. Yeah, I really like how we see that Sabine kind of falls back into her old ways where she starts to rely on aggression and her weapon more than her training on the Jedi side. She loses balance and Ahsoka calls her out immediately on that. So I really like that we saw that dynamic come back to the forefront again. And I love the camera work in the scene where Ahsoka would be in front of the camera and then it would kind of shift to Sabine and then Ahsoka would be behind her. I, I really like that, how they worked through that. Scene. Yeah, just mo moving through in such a quiet fashion. Again, yeah. very stoic, which I, I thought that Rosario's acting in this episode actually was probably the best so far. Mm -hmm. And again, I don't know the order that they shot the episodes in or something, but it just seems that she was getting more comfortable with the character um, within episode three comparatively to the first two and yeah playing off of what you said with Sabine's aggression and stuff like that it's nice to see uh, kind of the parallels uh, between uh, just the cycle that we see through where Anakin is the master of Ahsoka right mm -hmm. and Ahsoka's his Padawan and now we have Sabine as the Padawan of Ahsoka and they all kind of have these traits mm -hmm. that trickle down yeah, and you could even go back even further with Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon because Obi-Wan was a very impatient Padawan. He was very um, kind of reclusive and, and rebellious, but he had a master like Qui-Gon, so he had to kind of stay in line. And then, you know, you can go to Qui-Gon and Count Dooku. Like, the lineage just keeps going on and on, which is which is really cool. And I think that was a big thing that Filoni wanted to draw on is that lineage of master and apprentice relationships for sure and i think that that scene was a really good way to start the episode and the tensions are already a little high of from sabine and what she's going through mm -hmm. and then we kind of transition into this what i thought was the best scene of the episode between hera and the senators and chancellor uh, mon mothma uh mm -hmm. basically about 
potentially Thrawn returning. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, I think that's part of what the episode plays off of is the time to fly because they're all trying to have this race um, against time now to try to stop the impending return of Thrawn. Mm-hmm. And there's just a great dialogue here. And I love how they're able to, you can see the difference between all the different senators and then the, how serious Mothma takes it. And then how, um, rebellious Hera is and how angry she is at the whole decision that they make. What did you think about that scene? Yeah, I mean, I have this bit on my podcast where I call Mon Mothma my queen. I absolutely love her character, and she's played by this gorgeous Genevieve O'Reilly. She's fantastic in the role. So every time she comes on the screen in, like, a Star Wars show, I'm, like, so excited. I'm like, yes, Mon Mothma's back, and she's a chancellor now, which is which is really cool. I think they might have explored that in the books a little more, but I hadn't read those books. But yeah, I love this scene because in Rebels, we do have a slight interaction between Mon Mothma and Hera and the Ghost crew. So we know that they have some history and we can see that Mon Mothma is concerned about Hera. They kind of have a bit of small talk in the beginning of the meeting and the other senators mm. kind of have to like bump her and be yeah, like, they're like hey, All right. we need to get back yeah, on track. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I love this scene because it just shows that Hera isn't a typical general. Like she is coming from a background of being a rebel and then she's kind of thrust into this role of being in a more organized rebellion and now a republic. So I think that's really cool how she pushes it back against senators. And she speaks as a soldier overall because, you know, senators aren't usually in the in the mud and in the dirt with the soldiers. So when they start talking about war, a soldier can take that pretty personally. They're like, you don't know the horrors of war. You don't know what he's possible, he's capable of doing. I've seen it firsthand. So I really liked what um, Mary brought to the role in this scene. Yeah, I think that that was probably her most standout scene so far through the three episodes. Again, playing off of what you just said, the pushback uh, and talking about asking uh, one of those other uh, senators. Is that a character that we've seen previously? I don't think so. He might have been in the books. He might be one of those like you know side characters that okay. you would have to really know can yeah, more yeah. about. But we're I, talking I actually major Easter eggs. Here. Yeah, I don't know. But I love I love the uh, interaction that she has with him, where she's like, "Did you fight in the war? Like you don't understand what this means and what even the impending anarchy that Thrawn can bring to the forefront if he." obviously which we're gonna see him return yeah but and they're all like no we don't have to worry about that right now like right now everything's good like yeah. so why are we worrying about something that could potentially happen and it's like Hera completely understands uh basically what he can bring to uh the fight against the republic but also yeah. just the stoic nature of how she's able to handle herself while still being frustrating i think is also kind of adds to her acting in the scene as well and it's very hypocritical of him to have like a moral high ground in the scene because he's like oh we can't spare resources just to you know go off a hunch and it's kind of you know take a step back and you realize that he's old enough to have lived through the empire and he might have been a senator within the empire and he didn't care about the people then but now he's like oh no we can't give up resources because that'll you know hurt the people but it's like you didn't do anything when the empire was in control you can't really be you know standing on this high horse above Hera here, which I think was a cool little piece of the scene as well. Yeah. And I think we see that a lot in star Wars, right? Where you just see them repeat their mistakes and it's the Mm -hmm. same thing. And they're like, no, we're playing into it. Like this is it. We've gone through this before. We have to prepare for other things. And it's like, well, you get yourself into the same habits. The same thing is going to happen. Exactly. Right. Um, So I really like the early dialogue and kind of basically the training sequence that we see early on. And uh, then we eventually get thrust into this big space battle, which happens for, I think, is like majority of the episode. Yeah. Um, and, and before we jump into the space battle, I do want to hear your thoughts about um, 
you know, when Sabine is sitting at the table and Ahsoka's talking to her about using the Force, and we know that Sabine doesn't feel like she has the confidence to use the Force. Even Hugh Yang keeps reminding her, like, you have the lowest affinity for Force of any Padawan ever. And I'm curious what you think of that as, you know, someone who might not be as deep into Star Wars. Do you think it's cool that they they might explore the idea of anyone being able to use the force if they are trained? Yeah, I think it's an interesting concept. And that's something that I feel like people have talked about in Star Wars for a long time. Because, again, we know that Sabine is not a Jedi, mm-hmm. doesn't have the Jedi abilities like Ahsoka has, like Anakin has had Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, but it didn't bother me. It wasn't mm-hmm. something that I was like, oh, like she's not a Jedi. She can't have these abilities. Because I think, again, what comes into that, it's a very spiritual sort of thing that can be within anybody Mm -hmm. and especially if they have the light within them so i think being able to see if we're able to see a nice progression of sabine being able to handle certain things with less uh, aggression and less frustration we start Mm -hmm. to see her have this calmness over her which we see reflected in rosario's portrayal of ahsoka Mm -hmm. i think uh i'll cling on to that even more and i'll kind of buy into that concept but it wasn't something that bothered me yeah yeah no i agree i i totally love it because i think it it's something that Dave Filoni knows has been a question for a while in Star Wars that people have had. Like, can anyone use the Force? If we're claiming that the Force is everywhere and in everyone, how come everyone can't use it? And I think that's a cool concept to kind of dive in on and use Sabine as the person to kind of drive that theory. So I, I thought it was really cool, and I, I just like hearing the thoughts of other people because I know some people were a little turned off by it. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to hear where you were coming from. Yeah, there. and Sabine's a character that I feel like is easy to root for. Oh, yeah. uh, so I yeah. think that being able to put... I guess you could say the weight or the pressure of that that Filoni is putting on Sabine. Mm-hmm. I think that that character is the type of character that can handle it. Yeah. Um. So I feel good about it. I, yeah. I definitely. I don't. I don't think it's something that. Hopefully, it doesn't kind of push viewers to be like, "Oh, this is not yeah. exactly how it is." But I mean, you get that in pretty much every franchise. Unfortunately, there's going to be naysayers and people that say things. Uh, there was one line of dialogue too that Hu Yang uh, said right before they get into the space battle. Before we jump into that. Mm-hmm. Um where there's there's a little bit of uh banter that happens back and forth between him and ahsoka and kind of playing off what you were saying where he's like oh well she doesn't have the abilities to be a like jedi and then he has this one line where he goes you do come from a long line of non-traditional jedi kind of poking at the fact i think again like and she's the padawan of anakin so i'm curious on your thoughts on that uh that dialogue and just Again, like the the relationship between Hu Yang and Ahsoka, which to me has been one of my favorite things of the series so far. Yeah, I think, you know, as I was alluding to a little earlier, like the lineage from Ahsoka all the way back really does touch on a lot of non-typical Jedi. I mean, we have Anakin, of course, being the chosen one turning to the dark side. Obi-Wan kind of being thrust into a master role as a teenager. He wasn't ready to really become a master, but he was kind of thrust into that role. And then before that, Qui-Gon was very much the outsider of the Jedi Council. Before that, you have uh, Count Dooku, who obviously leaves the Order and becomes a Sith Lord. And then before that, you have Yoda training him, which, you know, Yoda is this, you know, ethereal being among the Jedi Order, being there for 900 years. So I think it is cool that you can draw that lineage all the way back. And it is it does reign true. Like all of these are very non-typical Jedi masters. Yeah, for sure. I, I, who Yang is for someone who didn't know the character coming in, but a really, it's been a treat for me. I really he's, enjoy. And the way he's written yeah. and a David Tennant, who is awesome. Like I just, yeah. I love the recipe so far. He wasn't this, uh, he wasn't this tight in, in Clone Wars when he was in Clone Wars. Like he was much more, I, f- I feel like I remember him being a lot more, uh, you know, comforting and a lot more like 
respectful of of padawans and and he's just he's just all over sabine that's so funny is it is david Tennant uh the voice as well yes i believe he's returning as the voice like from clone wars okay um we only have like a small like arc with him in the clone wars about you know padawans going to get their their kyber crystals for their lightsabers which is cool because you know that's you know hu yang's job like to create the sabers with the with the younglings so i think that's pretty cool okay awesome so let's dive into the space battle because sure. again yeah let's say that i think the episode comes in at about 32 minutes and i'd have i it felt at least like probably about 15 minutes of the episode is yeah probably maybe 20 the space battle. <laughs> exactly so um what were some things within the space battle that stood out to you and things that you enjoyed or maybe didn't enjoy as much so I think overall, I like the homage it pays to like A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back where, you know, you have the crew inside the Millennium Falcon, like running around, like someone man the gun, someone repair the hyperdrive, someone repair the ship while this is all going around and it's a lot of chaos going on. So I appreciate that part of it. I think where I had a gripe with it was that it felt like there wasn't as much tension in the battle because it felt like Shin's ships weren't doing anything to the ship overall. So it kind of felt like there was that lack of uh, tension, like I said. And, and every time Shin like landed a shot on the ship, like nothing happened. It didn't feel like Ahsoka and Sabine were in trouble until Morgan Elsbeth starts shooting at them with the hyperspace ring and the whole uh, installation. So I think that was probably my main issue with it because, you know, as you said, it's like 20 minutes of the entire episode. And I feel like Shin is consistently behind them shooting for all of those 20 minutes yeah so i don't know if that kind of rubbed you the wrong way as well i know that well some people have talked about too that they felt that this was like a filler episode i wouldn't say that no, i wouldn't go no, as far to say no. that because i think you learn a lot with yeah. this episode and you see a lot with the dynamic of sabine and ahsoka as well excuse me but the thing that stood out to me that i liked was how ahsoka and sabine had issues in the beginning of the space battle right and they were able to work it out mm -hmm. and show the teamwork and being able to lean on one another and again i love how ahsoka's like you let me know what you need yeah yeah to basically play into that um the one thing about like you were talking about the uh with the actual space battle uh i thought i 100 percent agree with you in terms of like not a lot of damage and then i felt like out of nowhere there was so much damage as soon as they went through the hyperspace ring and so much so that it looked like it was like a death scene and i knew that it obviously yeah, wasn't yeah. but i was like wait what just happened like yeah. And even the way it was edited, it felt it felt a little like janky to me, mm -hmm. that whole sequence. Um, but the one thing that kind of rubbed me the wrong way was I just thought it was really silly when Ahsoka went out on the wing of the jet. I don't know why. Yeah. It just seemed to me I was like, this seems like this is not being taken seriously anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think even there's a little bit of like a twinge in the score where it starts to be a little bit more bubbly and playful. I think so. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, this seems like something that will be in like Spy Kids. Like it just right. didn't it didn't fit basically the tension of the situation sure. and as powerful as ahsoka is and we're learning and coming to see how great she is and how powerful she is that to me stood out as something where i was like eh, it didn't totally sit right with me mm -hmm. yeah i think it was definitely going to be a decisive uh, divisive decision to do that i think overall i was fine with it i think it's you know obviously really cool to see her out on the wing like deflecting straight up like blaster bolts from from ships on the side of a wing and then actually cutting down ships with a with a lightsaber so I thought that was cool. I think, you know, Dave was trying to inject some fun into it, trying to keep it not so, you know, dark, maybe, you know, inject some humor and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, overall, it, it didn't bother me, but I could definitely understand where, where people were turned off by it. And I think he might have written himself into a corner there where he had to do that because the ship was yeah. just, you know, you couldn't do anything. Like your ship was just sitting there like, how could you make it 
exciting still. It's like, okay, well, let's put Ahsoka out in space. <laughs> yeah, and then give Sabine time to basically fix the ship exactly. with Nohu Yang. What did you think about um the whole dynamic of them getting kind of falling right into Morgan Elsbeth's like trap? Mm-hmm. Like, did you and the the whole I don't know that that scene too was just written w- weird to me. Like the way that how they basically um integrated themselves within Hu Yang and kind of cross wiring him, right? Like they were saying. They had to get like close they had to get close to this base ring to scan it to essentially know what its capabilities were. Yeah. And like they had to get really close and they kept like driving directly into the fire. And then I think the fire eventually hit and since Hu Yang was plugged in, it kind of short circuited him Got as like it. a okay. blowback, you know? Um but yeah, I mean, it was interesting. Like, we need to keep getting closer. It's like, well, maybe we should, you know, not go directly towards yeah, it. Yeah, evade it, evade it a little <laughs> maybe bit. Maybe go left or right. I don't know. Especially when they're like, I've never seen anything like this before. And you're like driving right into it. I was like, all right, interesting choice. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, what did you think about the lack of Imperial presence around the space ring? Because we're, we're in this situation where we're being told that Thrawn is kind of the one who was promised like he's going to come back and reunite the imperial remnant fleet but you see a very big lack of imperials like guarding this thing which might bring back their savior do you think there's anything that they're kind of setting up here that morgan elsbeth is being not as transparent as she seems like she is uh in terms of like having a positive relationship with ron or like why aren't the imperials defending this installation if they're going out to save Thrawn, bring him back to lead the Imperial Remnant fleet. Why is there, why is this ring unguarded? Like, why can Ahsoka and them just roll up on it? With I guess the only thing that actually then plays into the fact of like her being able to get them to fall into the trap is that it seems like it's not heavily guarded. Right. Yeah. So I can, I can totally see your point as well, Mm -hmm. but maybe that's just an element of Morgan Elsbeth's character where she's kind of this conniving and sort of like low key presence that's able to, uh, be manipulative and kind of uh, shadow basically what she is towards mm-hmm. them sure. because they weren't able to figure out what it was until again, yeah. like they got so close True. to it. So True. it wasn't something that bothered me. I am really interested to see how her relationship with Shin and um, Ray Stevenson's character, mm-hmm. uh, remind me again, his name, Balon, Balon. Yeah. So Balon and Shin, I'm interested to see that dynamic too, because we see at the end of episode two, what is this going to bring us? And they, he says power. Mm-hmm. So they also want power and they also want something. And you see, yeah. as we've seen throughout Star Wars, like everyone's going to want their own power, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm interested to see that dynamic and that relationship. Uh, what was your thought in terms of the non-imperial? That, that's kind of leading into like my prediction that, you know, Morgan Elsbeth is using Thrawn as her own power play and she might not be as interested in the Imperial Remnant as she says she is. And she might be doing this off on her own, but is under the guise that, oh, I'm doing this to bring back the Imperials and that'll get her support. But I really think she's having her own power play here where she's not really connected to the Imperials. So that's really what spoke to me. But I, I also see your point, like you don't want to draw attention to this hyperspace ring. If it's surrounded by Imperials, it's like, oh, well, this is definitely something we should be worried about but if there's no imperials then it's like oh it's just a a weird project that someone is doing in the the, in the outer rim um so that's that's kind of my thoughts there uh you bring up a point with with balon and shin um i really liked shin's performance in this even though she is you feel like she's kind of useless in this episode because her ships never do any significant damage but i actually really appreciated that she never got frustrated like a typical sith or dark jedi would like every time you feel like darth maul if he fails or if 
Count Dooku fails, like sometimes they could be like frustrated and angry. But I actually enjoyed that she was very even keeled the entire time. Like, okay, we just got to stay on him. Okay, we'll regroup. Okay, we'll stay on him. It was very impressive, I thought, as a villain. It made me still feel intimidated by her, even though she wasn't actually doing any damage. I don't know if you got that as well. No, I totally did. And I think her relationship with Balon um, plays into that. Yeah. Because you, you can see him also being basically even keeled throughout mm-hmm. the first three episodes. And uh, we didn't talk about it much in our last episode, but... I love the introduction of those characters, mm-hmm. how they come in as as these uh, Jedi acting, mm-hmm. and and they're just like very stoic throughout the yeah. whole entire thing. Yeah. So uh, I think she, I think she's been great in the in the show so far. I'd like to see more from her. Yeah, yeah. and and Balin so far. And again, like, what's your thoughts on the runtime? Because I was talking to a friend of mine recently who also has a podcast, and we were talking about in general with these Disney plus shows. And I was like, I feel like early on in Mando too, a lot of the episodes were a little longer. And the first episode I think was like 50 minutes for uh, the first episode of Ahsoka. So we, we still have that element of it, Mm -hmm. but 32 minutes to me isn't enough, especially when, again, like you're saying, it might even clock in at 20 minutes of it is a space battle scene, which is fine. Mm Is I I enjoy space battles as much as the next person, but (laughs) I'm the type of person that my favorite part of star Wars is the, characters the development and then again the political aspects of it Mm -hmm. so i'm curious on your thoughts on the runtime so far for this episode and uh if that's something you would like to see jump going forward especially because uh we only i mean the series are usually shorter we still have five episodes to go but Mm -hmm. you know we got to see where that leads up to you know what i mean yeah i would love to you know get more star wars of course but i think this was more of a bridge episode. I won't call it a filler. It definitely moved the story forward, and there was a lot of great character moments. But I would say it is a bridge episode where they had to get from point A to point B. I think next episode is going to be very character-focused. I think there's going to be a lot of action next episode on the ground between Shin, Sabine, Ahsoka, Balon. I think it's going to be you know a very explosive episode. So I think they just had to get from point A to point B, and I don't think they wanted to get into the next episode story. So I think they just cut it off where it, it made most sense. Uh, I'm very much a proponent for tell the story you need to tell and the time you need to tell it. If it needs to be longer, I hope you take the time. But if it doesn't need to be longer, definitely don't, you know, just fill in content just to make it 45 minutes. So I thought this was fine. Um, and, you know, I- I'm just I'm just going to trust Dave Filoni. As That's usual. a fair point. No, yeah. I mean, in Dave Filoni, we trust, obviously. Mm-hmm. We do get uh, towards the very end of the episode, we get a real visual of the Purgles. Yeah, yeah. And, uh... As someone who has not watched the animated series, I found out through uh, <laughs> Ryan Airy and Screen Crush's um, YouTube videos about these space whales, essentially. Yes. <laughs> now, we do get a little bit of a visual, but again, it's more of a silhouette in uh, the last season of Mandalorian with mm-hmm. uh, Grogu yep, when yep. they're going through hyperspace. Uh, I really love that reveal because I thought that was just visually a really cool way to show that. Mm-hmm. But we get an up close and personal view of them in this episode. Tell me a little bit about their impact on what this storyline can be and also just an introduction for, again, other people like me that have never seen them before Ahsoka. Yeah, so I do want to preface this by saying that in Rebels, when they first appeared, I forget if it was season three or four, I think it was season three, I don't want to say they were a joke or like a meme, but like people thought it was pretty hilarious that there were just these space whales that essentially just like fed off of like nebula and gases in like the vacuum of space so in typical like star wars fashion it was like oh that's kind of interesting very weird very out there but they become integral in the end because ezra makes this force connection with them and they end up being the ones to save the day on lothal and um essentially jettison 
Thrawn Star Destroyer out to this different galaxy because they can uh, go through hyperspace. So, so they're the reason why Thrawn and Ezra reason. have disappeared. Exactly. They're the wow, reason. Wow, that's So they were both today. on the Star Destroyer when the Purgle took it, and they took it through hyperspace. And that's why no one knows where they went. And that's why we see here where they have this star map, we see that they're starting to talk about Purgle migration patterns because that's really the only clue you could possibly have to where the Purgle would have went with the ship. And that's a little bit why I started to predict like, oh, you know, that's the only way they could ever find them if, is if they, you know, watch the Purgle's migration patterns. And if they go out there, okay, we got to follow them there because that's really the only insights they have. So I think that's why they're such a big presence here on this planet like this might be their jumping off point to the next galaxy and that's why every character is there right now and we're seeing the purgle in the atmosphere so i'm thinking by the end of next episode or the episode after that like we're following the purgle <laughs> to the next galaxy okay awesome yeah. interesting so there's one other thing that we didn't touch on really not only in this episode but we didn't touch on it a lot on our last episode that i definitely want to get your perspective because there's a lot of talk on the internet about this mysterious figure that kind of comes in and fights Ahsoka at the end of episode two. Mm -hmm. Some people are saying that might be Ezra, which yeah, again, for someone who doesn't know the character, I have nothing to preface that by. I have nothing to play that off of. Uh, I'm curious on, on your opinion of that. And also if you don't believe that that's Ezra, who you might think it could be. Yeah, I really, I don't know. I haven't really dove into any of the online theories because some of them are out there. Some of them are pretty interesting. Like I've seen the Ezra one, I've seen, I don't know if you ever played Star Wars Force Unleashed. It was a video game that basically was surrounded by um, the Darth Vader's secret apprentice. It's not canon anymore, but he was played by Sam Witwer, who voices Darth Maul in Clone Wars and Rebels. So I think a lot of people are like, oh, this might be bringing Starkiller into canon, or it might be Sam Witwer who's playing him, which I think would be cool. I, I would appreciate if Sam Witwer was able to show his face in live action he's always been a voice actor for star yeah. wars and i think it'd be really cool if if he was under the mask but that's really the only theory that i'm subscribing to i also am totally fine with him just being a random person. a random inquisitor that uh didn't know what to do after the empire fell and balon and shin essentially just took him under their wing because they did say they were mercenaries they did say that you know they were out for power maybe they're trying to rebuild the jedi order in their own way we see Shin has a Padawan braid, but I think she was too young to be a Padawan when the Republic fell. So that might be Balon kind of trying to create the order in his own inner circle and being like, oh, well, you're my Padawan. Well, you're going to have a Padawan braid. And that's why he's like power, you know, in his mind, starting a new Jedi order. That's that's a lot of power. And he could maybe be this branch of Thrawn's military. I don't know. Like, but that's, I like that. Theory. That's my working theory yeah. because, yeah, that that's Padawan braid by Shin is very symbolic and i don't think that she was even like old enough to be in the jedi order when order 66 happened so very curious about that that's my working theory right now um and maybe merrick just wants to be a part of that <laughs> yeah I, li I like that parallel though of what you were saying it's also something that i've thought about too where balin is basically being the master to her padawan and they you could kind of tell they have a really close-knit relationship even if they're not saying much to one another yeah you can tell basically by the way that they're showing it with their body movements and and uh just their chemistry on screen i could definitely see that 
The Sam Witwer theory I've also heard a little bit, and I would also really like that because I know that he's been entrenched in Star Wars for a very long time with multiple voice roles. Mm -hmm. So being able to see him in a live-action atmosphere, uh, and he's a great voice actor, I think that would be a really cool like nod to all Star Wars fans as well as somebody who's such a passionate Star Wars guy as well. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to talk about Steph Green, uh, who actually directs this episode, and she's been a TV director for a very long time. She's done episodes of luke cage uh man in the high castle watchman and she joined uh star wars in the book of boba fett doing episode two where uh we saw them on tatooine but also she did the last two episodes of ahsoka episode two and this one time to fly so i'm curious on your thoughts on her direction so far i am not the best person to ask about like direction overall i don't know if i'd have much insight into it unfortunately i do think you know the shots in this episode are like beautiful when 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 there are those wide shots of, of the ship battles and i do think it's interesting how she uses some of those old um shots from the original trilogy where we are looking at the cockpit from the view of the of the viewing port you know looking back at ahsoka and hu yang kind of like in the millennium falcon when we're looking at han and chewie piloting so i thought those were cool nods i think you know she puts us right in the seat with sabine when she's in the turret i think that's really cool um but yeah, unfortunately, I don't have a great eye for directing. <laughs> I was going to say that I really love when you're not able to see it's somebody directing Star Wars. When yeah. it just <laughs> feels like yeah. exactly what you are expected to feel when you're able to watch a show within this universe. And I feel like she did that pretty effortlessly within these last two episodes. And again, she had that exposure with Book of Boba Fett. And that was an episode that I feel like was a little divisive because of the way that it was handled and how Boba Fett is kind of interacting with um, the uh, sand uh, troopers, oh, the Tusken Raiders, yeah. Raiders, I yeah. meant um, within that episode. So I thought that not only that, but being able to bring in people like Mon Mothma in this episode to yeah. get like a legacy character in there. And then we also see a brief appearance of Jason Hera's son, mm-hmm. which we yeah. briefly talked about in the last episode. So uh, I do feel that that as well as the, a really great character moment for Mary Elizabeth Winstead in this, uh, make it a good episode, not the best of the three so far, but I like the trajectory we're going on through the first three episodes. Definitely, yeah. I wish I could. I wish I could give more credit to to Steph Green, but it felt like the first episode. Like like the it it feels like the show has a has a definitive DNA. Like it doesn't feel like there was a switch of directors from the first episode to two and three. So I guess that's the best insight I can give. That it definitely has felt consistently Star Wars, which which is the most important part. Yeah. And I think it's coherent for everybody, for people who have watched the animated series, for people like me who have not watched the animated series, you're able to get a true glimpse of what these characters are going through and a coherent through line. But I'm curious, Mm -hmm. what are you expecting for episode four? Uh, Yeah, I think episode four is definitely going to be a lot of lightsaber battles on the, on the surface. We see, Balon, we see we get this very intense shot of Balon at the end of this episode, kind of mm-hmm. just pondering, you know, what he's gonna do next. And I think that's very telling of what we might see next episode with him and Ahsoka, like we see in the trailer. Hopefully, you know, we we see that that lightsaber fight next ba- next episode, and we see Sabine and and Shin face off again. Has Sabine made as much progress as she probably would have liked to since they last fought? Probably not. Yeah. But hopefully, you know, Ahsoka and Sabine can start off next episode. Maybe another heart to heart, maybe really talking about what it means to be a Jedi, what the force is. I think that would be a great way to intro the next episode. And then hopefully that pays off by the end when she takes on Shin. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that we get another, I don't want to say like dialogue heavy episode, but I'm hoping we get one more episode where we get to see the dynamic between Sabine and Ahsoka grow. Mm-hmm. We start to see more Balon and more Shin together. And then we lead into that episode five prediction that you had had where maybe we get a lot happening and then we finally get the reintroduction of Thrawn. Yeah. To basically set us on this course for the final three episodes. Mm-hmm. Because I do think that if we see Sabine rush into another uh, lightsaber battle, it just seems a little too rushed to She's me in episode <laughs> four. Yeah, like I'm hoping we don't we don't see that, mm-hmm. uh, especially because we see her uh, wielding the wooden sabers in the beginning, and she's not doing a great job. Yeah, no. and Hu Yang makes it very <laughs> yeah. apparent that that is the case. Um, but again, time to fly. Not a bad episode. I wanted to finish up our conversation by asking you again. Uh, we've talked a little bit about Theron. We've talked about the characters we've seen so far. Ezra, in general, is a character that people are anticipating. We've seen him in a hologram. Mm-hmm. We're gonna see him at some point. Uh, when are you anticipating that we see him and what are you hoping to see when we finally get him in live action? I, I I don't know if we will see him. I think that's another card that Dave Filoni could play that, you know, he didn't survive. He did not make it out. Thrawn was able to link up with his people and essentially, you know, either turn Ezra, kill Ezra, who knows? So I think, you know, Dave could pull the rug out and be like, Ezra isn't here. And I think that would be kind of, um, cool for for sabine because then sabine you know she had this whole quest and then by the end of the quest is like was it all for nothing because we didn't get ezra or did you still grow as a person even though at the end of the road you didn't get what you thought you would i think that would be a cool twist um when we do see ezra i mean he's on such a great path at the end of rebels he has this great moment where he accepts his parents death and he saves the day he saves his home world so i would you know, love to see that continue here. He is like very wise beyond his years by the end of Rebels, and I'd love to see him come back in that light. Um, but again, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm thinking maybe episode seven or eight. I think it will be like the end of the season when we see him. Okay, interesting. I think Thrawn will definitely be up front. We'll definitely see Thrawn first for a couple episodes, and then and then Ezra. But yeah, it's it, it's it's interesting. It's like when did Thrawn and Ezra separate? Because they were literally in the same cockpit together like how far could have they diverged if thrones alive what could have happened to ezra but i think that's the fun of of the question yeah Where is he? <laughs> definitely and i i think people are kind of anticipating that reunion between sabine and him so i'm mm-hmm. curious to see if that pays off either by the end of this season or if Filoni decides to go in a completely different direction. Yeah, we'll see. I'm yeah. excited for it. Yeah, me too. Well, I think that's going to do it for us, guys. We just talked about Time to Fly, the third episode of Ahsoka. We'll be back next week talking about episode four. Make sure you guys tune in. Thanks, everyone. Bye.